for today's uh, meditation, let's turn to the uh, same portion that Maurice uh, read for us, which is Luke chapter 3. So over the last, uh, I think since May 8th, we, since we commenced this new series, we've been going through um, Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And I really hope that all of us have been able to um, learn uh, together as a church as we, as we, as we hear this um, you know, on Sunday mornings and then as we discuss this in our cell groups as well. So we went through a couple of, uh, couple of key things in, in, in chapter 1 and 2. We, we studied about the announcement to Zechariah. We studied about the announcement to Mary. Uh, we we studied about Mary's praise, which is known as the Magnificat. We 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 read through the uh, we studied the uh, Zacharias praise, which is known as the Benedictus. We studied about the birth of Jesus. We looked at the presentation of Jesus in the temple, which is the light to the Gentiles. We we studied about that, and last week we studied about um, boy Jesus, twelve-year-old Jesus, who is at the temple reasoning with the teachers. So today we come to chapter 3, uh, which is, chapter 3 talks about the ministry of John the Baptist. Okay, verse 1, it goes like this. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and Traconitus, and Lysan- Lysanias, um, Tetrarch of Abilene. That's what it says. So essentially, this speaks about different regions within within um, within w- within uh, Israel, and it speaks about different administrators who are administering the various places. And all of them, uh, they they kind of roll up to the Caesar, who at that point of time was Tiberius. So that's all we are looking at, verse one. Okay, we'll move to verse two. It says, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. I know we normally have a PPT up here, but we are not having it today. We'll, we'll have a PPT as we come towards the end of the sermon. So during the, high, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now in the, in the Jewish religious system, you can have only one high priest. But here it speaks about two high priests, which is Annas and Caiaphas. Now, some Bible commentators say that the religious system was so corrupt, and it is a fact that the religious system was corrupt, that many a times the priest used to bribe the Roman officials, and, um, and the Romans would, uh, would, would, would appoint pliable people as their high priests. So, so this just shows the compromise that was there in the Jewish religious system. But then there's another group which says that... Uh, the, 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 the older high priest, though the older high priest had retired, um, you know, even after they retired, they still had the title of the high priest, and which is why, uh, you know, two high priests are mentioned here. So whatever it might be, these two people were there, and it says at that point of time, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, we know that John was, was even before his birth, uh, God had marked out uh, the mission for John. Um, and in his uh, and in the old age of his parents, um, he was appointed to be the forerunner um, and to talk about his cousin and the Lord Jesus Christ. And God was preparing John where in the wilderness. He was being prepared for the ministry in the wilderness. Now, from the other gospels, we know that uh, what kind of a person John was. He was someone who wore camel's hair. He wore a leather belt. He ate locust and wild honey. He's someone who possibly had a very grunge look. And this was the man 
that God had appointed to be the to, to be foretelling about Jesus Christ and he was being prepared by God in the wilderness okay and now, when we come to verse 3 it says he went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins he went all around the region around Jordan now if you remember the map which we had seen some time back we had we had on one side of the jordan we have israel on the other side of jordan we have the country jordan but at that point of time all these regions were part of israel and john went around preaching repentance and preaching baptism so though he was asking people to come and repent and then as a as a as an external act of 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 whatever change that went within he was asking them to come and take baptism Now what really caught my imagination is this word repentance. He was asking people to repent. What did they have to repent from? What did they have to repent from? Now if you look at it, repentance is a theme that you find right across the scriptures, right from the Old Testament. One consistent message that God gave to his people was asking them to repent. Now if you remember the story of uh, Noah, and the floods and now in the narrative which is there in genesis we don't find it but peter when he talks about noah he calls noah a preacher of righteousness possibly noah was preaching and asking people to repent but they didn't and they eventually ended up in their watery grave and as the as the as the old testament progresses we find repentance being emphasized again and again elijah spoke about repentance all the prophets from isaiah till all the way till malachi what were they doing they were asking people to repent god gave his messengers god sent his messengers to asking people to repent from their sins and turn to god now we know that there were there were prophets who were sent before they went into exile there were prophets who were sent while they were in exile there were prophets who were sent after the exile and all of them preached this consistent message of repentance now the people did not listen to many of these prophets and which is why eventually god had to send them to exile now as we come towards the towards the end of the old testament you know in in the book of malachi we find that people are again slipping up and malachi is again calling people asking them to repent and turn from their sinful ways so repentance was not some new message which god was sending out it is it is consistent with with everything that the old testament was talking about and john was being sent to these people asking them to repent from their ways and be prepared for the arrival of the messiah Now what exactly in their context were the Jews supposed to repent from Now you know when we um, in our earlier series and even when this series started when we looked into the uh, intertestamental time there was this uh, there was this period of silence the 400 years now prior to that when 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 uh, when the when the people of Judah were in exile during the time of Nehemiah Zerubbabel Ezra there was a period of revival which took place now during the time of ezra the scriptures were opened the laws were read and the hearts of people were revived and 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 they truly repented and and there was this there was this great phase which 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 which, which happened in the life of the children of judah now during the period of 400 years what happened is different religious practices kept uh, crept in not all of them were really bad for example we 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 found out that while they were in exile the synagogues came into being right because people they knew that they couldn't go to the temple but they needed a place where they would come together and learn from the scriptures and that's how the synagogues came into being eventually the people 
uh, the, the people wanted to ensure that they don't break any of God's laws. And then the scribes came into being. And the scribes are the guys who actually prescribed various laws. They added a lot of man-made laws on top of the laws that God had provided. And the scribes became very prescriptive and people tried to keep those laws. The Pharisees came into being. Pharisees were not really the most loved people, but they were highly respected because externally they tried to keep all of those laws. So, so, so as a nation, they were quite religious. They were people who had a lot of religious practices that were going on. They used to come to the temple to bring their sacrifices. They used to meet in the synagogues to study from the scriptures. They, they, they had the scribes and the Pharisees and they had the works. They had everything going for them. But yet, John is coming and preaching to them about repentance. And we know eventually what Jesus tells them. Jesus was always at loggerheads with these Pharisees. Jesus was telling them that you're trying to obey the law in letter, but in spirit you have lost it. Your hearts have not changed. You're just trying to keep all the laws externally and you're taking some satisfaction from it. But the fact is that your heart is away from God. And we find Jesus constantly, constantly drilling this uh, to the Pharisees. You know, sometimes when, sometimes when, when, uh, when hearts are away from God, when our lives are not truly transformed or we are not living a life which is truly transformed, we try to hold on to the externals and we take great comfort in the fact that, you know, maybe God is kept happy. Or it just, it just gives us a feeling of assurance that, you know, we are still doing something for God. And that is exactly what is being condemned in the scriptures here. God does not want any of our external external uh, things that we do for him. You know, just uh, let's, let's just make this a little personal. Let's look at each of our lives. Let's look at CBF itself. Let's look at this, because this is our church, right? Let's look at it in our very context itself. You know, sometimes, uh, I think all of us, maybe, uh, uh, you know, we have this, uh, we have this uh, thing within us that this is a church that is different. This is a church that that uh, that does a lot of things different from some of the other churches or the or the kind of churches that we come from we take pride in the fact that um, that uh, there's a lot of discipling that that goes on here now after after the message we will see the announcement slides we have some six or seven cell groups we have the college groups for boys we have the college group for girls we have uh, other bible studies we have uh, one-on-one discipling we have a lot of things going on here right but you know all of this all of this is going to be meaningless if your hearts are not truly repentant and if you're not producing the fruit of repentance cbf can just become a nice badge for you to have saying that this is a great church i go to but all the messages that you hear all your cell group discussions all the studies all the discipling you know all of that can be nice things to look on a chart but if that is not going to change your heart, all of this is actually meaningless. And you know, sometimes we think that uh, repentance is only for the unbelievers. Yes, they need to truly look to the cross and they need to turn from their sins and, and pursue righteousness and holiness. But repentance and the fruit of repentance is something for the believers as well. Because when we, when we look into the scriptures, we find, for example, in 1 John chapter 1, what does he say? He says that, if you confess, he's willing to forgive. 
and cleanses from all unrighteousness and that is written to the believers so which means that believers need to repent and they need to produce fruit of repentance as well you know the church at ephesus in as john writes the letter to the churches what does it say the church of ephesus here is here is what it says he says that consider how for, how you have fallen repent and do the things you did at first if you do not repent i will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place he is asking the church at ephesus to repent so believers need to repent as well what did paul write to the corinthians he asked them to repent as well there are people in the church but he is asking them to repent and turn to god and pursue holiness So you know from this what we understand is God's message of repentance is a timeless message from the beginning God is asking people to repent because he knows that in our flesh you know the temptation of the flesh is so is so enticing like we read in proverbs like a dog returns to its vomit we keep returning to our sin and which is why God has constant consistently through the ages have asked people to repent and turn to God So church I really hope that um, the today as we sit in front of God's word you know I really pray that the conviction of God's spirit rests on your heart now each of us can look back into our lives and see how good you were all of us who are married right we might be coming to the church but how good a husband have you been how good a wife have you been children you guys the young ones who are growing up how good have you been and the ones in college you know today our colleges are filled with all kinds of nonsense that is being spoken about in the name of uh, multiple things but are you able to consistently take a stand right from the time that each of us came to this church and when we look back today are you a better christian than what you were when you came here or today are you a better christian than what you were one year back is your life consistently producing fruit of repentance and that's something which we need to check like i said otherwise all these great things that we have here is going to be is going to be meaningless and another thing that we need to know is you know the bible also says that to whom much is given much is expected so if there is a better exposure to the word of god that's happening here much more will be asked from each of us and and as we go to verse 4 it says you know this is this is the prophecy concerning john the baptist you know he was the voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight paths for him every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low the crooked roads shall become straight the rough way smooth those days when a king would arrive in a town or a village there would be an advance party which would go which would prepare the way for the king's chariots to come so that's exactly that's the same um, um, analogy that is being used here for John the Baptist and he and his job was to come and preach and ask people to repent so that they are ready to receive the king who is the lord jesus christ verse 7 says john said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers who want you to flee from the coming wrath now i don't know why he says brood of vipers it possibly must have been a local lingo but 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 you know when as john was preaching all of these things what was happening is the people were people they did not hear any direct voice from god for 400 years suddenly they saw this new prophet who's arrived on the scene and they saw that he was calling people to 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 come and get baptized and people came to get baptized and john is telling them hey hold on repent first 
then come for baptism, right? Don't jump and don't look at this as a brand new ritual to be indulged in. Go first repent and then come and get baptized. And then in verse, in the next verse, he says that produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You need to produce the fruit of repentance and do not begin to say yourself, we have Abraham as our father. You know, the Jews as a race, they're very proud of their lineage and, and heritage because they knew that they as a race, they are, they are, they are speci- spe- specifically chosen by God. You know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you observe the life of an Orthodox Jews, even today, you go to Israel or you go to communities where you have Orthodox Jews like you have in New York, they're very proud of who they are. They're really proud of the fact that they are God's chosen people. You know, uh, John is saying none of that actually matters. Your lineage, your heritage, none of that matters. What you need to do is to repent and get straight with God. And if you think that you're Abraham's children, and if you think that, and, and, and you know, if that gives you some sense of worth, he's saying that you don't, you know, God doesn't need that. From these stones on the ground, he can raise up a generation. So don't take pride in all these, you know, external trappings that are there. And he says that the axe is at the root of trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit can be cut down and thrown into fire. He's a God who can judge you. He's the God who can punish you. He's the God who can send you to hell. So what you need to do is you need to repent and come to God. It's your heart that matters. When we, when we did the series on shepherding a child's heart, Georgian had taken that series. And, and, and right through that entire book, we were trying to address the issue of the heart. Right? It is not your external behavioral fixes that are important. What is important is your heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it is a heart transformation that needs to happen. Children, adults, all of us, we need to repent. And it is as a result of the change in our heart that you know, coming to meetings and all the other things, they are a result of the inner transformation. But if you don't have a change in heart, then all the other things just remain rituals and, um, and, and, and it becomes meaningless. And you know what I really liked in this portion, in this verse is from, from verses 7 to 9 is, John was fearless as he preached repentance. And you know, the, the second point that I want to make is, God's messengers must be fearless proponents of repentance. You don't need to play to the gallery. We should never play to the gallery. We should never sugarcoat the word of God. And I'm not just speaking about people who come here and preach, but when you, when, when, you, when you have discussions in your family, when you talk to your children, when you talk to your spouse, the standards of God and God's holiness must be exposed in your homes so that that compels their heart and, 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 and makes them produce fruit of repentance. You know, when we have our cell group meetings, in our cell groups, what should happen? Yes, we have fun, we have fellowship, but the word of God must be exposed so that everybody's hearts are stirred to pursue holiness. You know, we have a lot of one-on-one catch-ups in this church, which is all nice, but in those conversations, in those discipling, what should happen is the word of God and God's standards must be constantly exposed so that, like the scripture says, you know, like iron sharpens iron. We should sharpen one another. And that happens when the word of God is exposed and through the working of the Holy Spirit. We should be fearless proponents 
of repentance. And that's what John did, right? John is someone who lost his head for being a, a fearless proponent of repentance. Right through church history, we find people who fearlessly stood for the sake of the gospel and who preached repentance. So let's, let's always ensure that the word of God is exposed and, and repentance is preached and we pray that the hearts of people would be stirred. Now what happens when, when, when the real gospel, what happens when true repentance is preached fearlessly? That's what we find in verse 10 onwards. It says, people said, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share, should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. He's possibly talking to a group of, you know, the haves and the have-nots. And he's telling you guys who have things, you first go and give it to those who don't have. And this is something that we read in James as well. If someone is in need, don't sit and pray. Just go and do what you have to do. He tells people to, 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 uh, to share their material possessions. He tells them to, to give to the poor, to give, to give things that others don't have. And you know, that is the fruit of repentance. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I was just thinking, this is something which is, which is so relevant in our lives as well, right? I, I mean, I think this, we as a church, we know we are a giving church. In our, uh, in our accounts, there's a lot of funds that are coming in. And by God's grace, we give out most of that. But sometimes, I and mean, this is something which, which convicted me as well, sometimes I get into these technicalities. I might sometimes think that, uh, okay, this month's percentage is done. So when a new need comes, we sometimes think, okay, someone else would do it. But maybe God is bringing that to your attention so that you, know, you just loosen your purse strings and you give more. It's okay if you have done your, whatever you have to give for the month, but maybe God is prompting you to give even more. And, and you know, nothing, nothing, nothing is too much because he's someone who gave us his, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So by that standard, there's, there's nothing that we can give too much of. Verse 12, it says, the tax collectors came to be baptized. And teacher, what should we do? The tax collectors, you know, they were known to be one of the most, uh, you know, the obnoxious bunch. And even their hearts were stirred with, with, with the preaching of John the Baptist. And they came and asked, you know, the, one of the worst group of sinners, they came and asked, what should we do? And what's interesting is John, despite knowing who the tax collectors were, he didn't tell them to stop tax collecting. He didn't tell them to resign their jobs. He tells them, don't collect any more than you're required to. He told them. He told them, just do your job. Stop fleecing people. Just do your job. Go and be a good, righteous tax collector. As difficult as it might sound, that's, 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 that's what he's saying. And then the soldiers, and soldiers those days were known for you know, using their power to, again, um, e exploit people. And, and, and the soldiers came and asked, what should we do? And he replied, stop extorting money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content. He preached them about contentment. Right? So it doesn't matter what the magnitude or multitude of your sin is. The fact is, anybody and everybody can find hope. And the Bible provides hope. What you need to do is to repent and turn to Christ. Now, all your other things just really doesn't matter. You know, the world might not give you hope. The world might see you as the worst of sinners. 
but we have repentance, which is available at the foot of the cross. And that's the message that John was preaching. So what this section teaches us is true repentance results in transformation. You find lives being transformed when you're truly repentant. And that's a question to ask all of us. Have we truly repented and turned to Christ? If we have, do we continue to produce the fruit of repentance? As believers, it is very important that we continue to produce the fruit of repentance. Because he's the God who said that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. And if we truly love him, we need to produce the fruit of repentance. You know, in, in, in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah tells people that you, know, you have grieved the spirit of God. We can't grieve. He's a heavenly father who gave his son for us and we can't be grieving the heart of God. So the least we can do is, is to live a life of holiness, pursue repentance, pursue righteousness and produce the fruit of repentance. We go to verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered, answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. So the people saw this great man of God, the great prophet. Here is a man who broke the silence of 400 years. We are finally able to see someone who is bringing us the oracles of God. And they thought that, oh man, this might be the Messiah. Because this was a group of people who were really tired with the Roman rule. They were really looking forward for political redemption. And they thought that this is the man that God has sent. And they thought that he's the Messiah. And just look at this. John could have actually basked in that glory and adulation for some time. He could have thought, hey, this feels good. A lot of people telling me that you're preaching well. A lot of people telling me that, uh, you know, a lot of people are getting baptized and, and repenting. But John says, you know, it's not about me. It's not about me. I'm here to tell about someone whose sandals I'm not worthy to touch. It was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the task that he was cut out for by God. And that was to show people and introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he directs or he deflects all glory to the Lord. And this is again a lesson for us. You know, sometimes when in any kind of ministry that we might be in, either full time or, or we do it in the church, um, when, when, we see, when we see God using us and when we see some fruit, you know, there can be that there can be the risk or the danger for us to just get a little elevated or puffed up. But you know, it's not about us. It's not about us. We are just, we are just uh, unworthy recipients of his grace. And it is just an opportunity for us. It is all about Jesus. It is all about God. It is nothing about us. And we need to ensure that all glory is given to God and God alone. And it is not for us to feel good about any of it. And it says that his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing flow and to gather the wheat into his barn. And he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. 
this is a God who can judge. This is a God who can send people to hell. This is a God who demands holiness. This is a God who wants your life and not your rituals. And John was very clear that it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, repentance is all about God and his glory. It's not about what we do. So everything that we do, everything, the, 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 the discipling that we do, the teaching that we do, the discussions that we do, everything is about God. You know, sometimes uh, when people are involved in the job of discipling, we sometimes get possessive about people, right? It's not about you. Honestly, it's not about you. There's nothing to feel possessive. Like the scripture says, right? Paul planted, Apollos watered. There are multiple people involved. It's not about my disciple and your disciple. We are all disciples of Jesus Christ. So the glory is all God's and not of us. And it says that, and with many words, many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So always remember that whatever we do uh, with, regard to, with regard to God's ministry, it's about God and it is about God alone. And glory and all honor belongs to him. And you know the last section, which is verses 19 and 20, with, uh, which again connects with what we discussed earlier, um, John actually loses, um, I mean he ends up in prison and we know that eventually he's killed because he stood fearlessly for preaching repentance. So church, what did we what did we learn here today? So what we learned today is, so this is the map. Uh, you can actually go back and I'm not getting into it. So you can actually go and look for the places that are, that are in verse one. This is actually a picture from the movie Jesus. You know, John possibly looked something like this. And uh, yeah, these are the different verses that we spoke about, which, which, you know, God's call for repentance is timeless. And we find that right through the scriptures, God has been exhorting people to, 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 to pursue um, repentance. And it's not a new message. It's what he, 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 he expects from each of us. You know, the, God's messengers must be fearless proponents of repentance, right? We should never sugarcoat it. And we should expose the scriptures in such a way that it convicts the hearts of um, God's people. True repentance results in transformation, right? We really turn away from our sins and we turn to God. And that's the other thing that, that, that we learned here today. And then what we saw is, you know, repentance is all about God and it is about God's glory. It's not about bringing <clears throat> glory to ourselves. It is all about him and it is all about his glory. And we saw how believers need repentance too. And, um, you know, 1 John 1, 1.9 we saw... And we saw what, uh, what John writes to the church in Ephesus. Now here is, here is the last portion, right? As we close, I just wanted us to go to Psalm, Psalm 51, which is, um, which is uh, David's uh, Psalm of Repentance. And, and truly from here we understand um, how David repented from his sins. And you know, verse 4, this is one of my favorite verses. As David is faced with the mess that he made of himself. He says that against you, you only have I sinned. You know, for the little or the big sins in our life, it is very important that we understand that it is against God that we are sinning. You might be sinning against another person, but what's important is for you to realize that it is against God that we are sinning. And when you realize that it is against God that we are sinning, 
that's what really matters. That's what really matters because he's the supreme one. He's the one who can punish us. He's the one who demands perfection from us. And let's remember that it is he who we are sinning against and he is the righteous judge that we have. And then, you know, verse 10, David pleads out saying, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This should be a prayer every day because we know that we cannot pursue righteousness in our flesh, but we need the strength of God. So we need to plead with God and, 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 and cry out to him and say, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And finally, verse 17, it says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You know, God, you know, in the Old Testament, we find God saying that away with your sacrifice. I really don't need your sacrifice. What he needs is a broken spirit. Are we broken when we sin? Are we sensitive to sin? And sins are not sins that we just commit. Even the things that you ought to do and you don't do, that is also a sin. Right? To him, to you know, if we know what is true and if we don't do it, that is also reckoned as sin. That's what the scripture says. So sometimes we are just trying to live a life of avoidance, avoiding sin. No. If you don't do what you're expected to do, then that is also a sin. So church, I really hope that, that we as a church, all of us together, we will pursue righteousness. We will pursue repentance. We will produce fruit of repentance. And, and, and then all these things, all the great things that we have here will make sense. Otherwise, um, you know, Say five years down the line, CBF might still have all these meetings and all these great things, and we would still be where we are. We might, we might, we might actually get worse. So all of these things doesn't matter. We will, we will be like the churches that we think we are not like if each of us don't pursue righteousness and if each of us don't pursue holiness. That's what... That's, that, that's, that's all what I wanted to share today from the portion. Um, as I was preparing this, it really challenged me. It really, um, God's spirit convicted me a lot. And I really hope that, uh, that as, you, as you read through these scriptures, as you discuss this in your cell groups, I really pray that uh, God works in your heart as well. Uh, we didn't sing a song before uh, we started the sermon song. So this is a song which... Uh, which uh, it's actually an old song. I've never heard it being sung here, but I just requested the music team if they can actually help us with uh, singing this song. It says, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The path of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. And I love that second stanza. It says, I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. I just request that we sing the song. And then we'll pray and close. We just sang, I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. Church, um, what we discussed here today, I really hope that, uh, that it really impresses your heart. And I really pray that we will not waste any more years. We will not waste any more days. But we would pursue repentance and we would pursue righteousness. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you 
for the gospel of Luke from which we've been studying, Lord. We want to thank you for the lessons that we learned here today from the message and from the ministry of John the Baptist. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that your word works even in this day and age. We thank you that your word is timeless, Lord. And we pray that, Father, that we as a church, Lord, we as CBF, Lord, we would not just be content with who we are. Lord, by the grace of God, you've, you've enabled us to do several things, but we pray that we would not just sit back and rest, but we would know that Satan is prowling around us, Lord, waiting like a lion to devour. And we pray that, that we would always uphold your standards. We pray that every day, Lord, we would pursue holiness and righteousness in our lives. And we pray that, Lord, we would be today a better Christian than we were a week ago or a, or a year ago. Lord, we pray that there would be that holy discontent within ourselves, Lord. And we pray that we would want to be more and more and grow into the image of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for every individual here. We pray for every family here, Lord. We pray that each of us, Lord, within our families, within our individual lives, we would be better husbands, better wives, better children, Lord. In our workplaces, Lord, we would be better employees, Lord. We would work as unto you and we would reflect the righteousness of God even in our workplace. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here who, is, who has not known you and who is still striving to find the meaning of life, we pray, Lord, that the message of repentance that you would impress in their hearts as well and so that the joy which we all enjoy would be theirs as well soon, Lord. So, Father, we once again thank you for this time. We thank you for being with us today. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.